All right, college basketball fans, welcome back to another week. Episode 36 of Mad About Hoops. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the Michigan-Ohio State matchup this weekend. But, Timmy, we're getting to the tough, tough part of the schedule for a lot of teams before conference tournaments turn up. Yes. How are you feeling? Oh, man, I'm, I'm sweating bullets over here. Evil, it's good to talk to you. So if we if we do a pod next week, we usually do them on Thursdays. We're dropping this one on a Friday, February 19th. So happy late February, everybody. March is so close. It, you know, we're getting to this spot in the calendar where, where I almost want to freeze time and just enjoy this late February before we get the turn to March because then I don't want the month to ever end. I just want to live in it forever. But things are heating up. The discussion about conference tournaments ramping up as well as to what's going to happen. Ohio State and Michigan, you mentioned in the Big Ten, this is going to be really, really interesting with the Wolverines having five fewer games and just playing things out in my mind. Say if Ohio State gets the head-to-head matchup and then they're within, say, one loss of Michigan in the end. If you take a 16-4 and Ohio State team and Michigan is, what, 12-3? and when it's all said and done, who's going to be happy with that? If you're just going to then say, oh, a winning percentage takes it, Michigan goes. Yeah, but they, they have one one less loss in five fewer games. So, so many things to get into, Evil. I know uh, you want to do a little risers and fallers. Yeah, especially this, especially this time of year when, where people are starting to look at and how they determine how they're going to go with their brackets. A lot of people look at how you finish the season. So, we're going to go down the mm-hmm. list of a couple of teams, both sides of it. Who is really hitting their stride towards this time of the year? And who's really starting to falter off of where they were at the beginning of the season? So uh, we'll do, we'll start things off in the pod with some risers and fallers. I've got, uh, I wanted to hit on something that, that came up when we were listening to Chris Holtman speak a couple of weeks ago. We actually gave the nod to the Goodman and Hummel podcast for some interesting tidbits about Chris Holtman, who is on the late-season Naismith Coach of the Year watch list. There's another really interesting coach that I want to hit on in this pod that we've talked about many times before that's on that list that is very key for uh, how deep he is into his run at this current school. You kind of know where I'm going, so we'll give you that. And uh, again, like I said, a little lost Indiana basketball figure that uh, might be a sad story going on, but it's kind of ties into Chris Holtman's rise in the coaching profession. So we got a lot of good things coming up. Do not go anywhere. Just buckle up, sit back and relax. Some college hoops talk. This is Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it! He hit it! He hit it! He hit it, he hit it just inside of half court! Lane's on the other wing. Bang! Oh! 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 Sent it in, Jerome! All right, episode 36 of Mad About Hoops. I'm Timmy Hall. He is evil, bald Colin, your best college basketball friends this time of year. Find us wherever you listen to these pods. Tell your friends that are looking for something else to try. Give us a little rating and review. 
Uh, we're on Apple. We're on everywhere. I think the the thing just streamlines the best on Apple if you've got the iPhone or whatever. But Android, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, it's all there. So, Evil, let's jump right into it, man. As we said there in the cold open, risers and fallers late in the year, a lot happens, man. There, there's some teams that sort of pop up that you're not really paying attention to for the last month, and then all of a sudden they're in your face and... There's the exact opposite going on. Teams that just drop off the table and things get tough and the games are are tighter and defense ramps up. It's it's just natural when you get to the end of the season. Things It's like the last five minutes of an NHL game, right? It just seems like everybody is more intense than in, in the first 45 minutes, 55 minutes out there. So who you got? Who starts these lists? Start with some risers. Yeah, so some risers. I think this is a team we've talked about a lot and recently because there's a guy on the team that I love, but it's USC. If you didn't get a chance to watch USC versus Arizona State a couple nights ago, please, please, please find a way to watch USC because if you don't know who Evan Mobley is, you need to find out come tournament time because Evan Mobley is averaging about 16.6 points a game. He is what I called a couple episodes ago a unicorn at the center position. He's about seven foot. He can stretch it out, shoot the three. He's very good with his mid-range jumper, and then he can also dominate in the post. He's also got his brother Isaiah Mobley, who's really good. They have been on the rise. They're 18 and three, 12th in Ken Palm, and they're very even on both sides of the court. They're 18th mm. in efficiency on the offensive side and 11th on the defensive side. Let me uh, let me throw a little Big East riser your way. And not a lot of people might be thinking of him, but one of your dudes here lately, you like Mobley, but last year on the pod, we talked a lot about Sandro Mamakulashvili. <laughs> right. One of the fun names, Mamakulashvili, for the Seton Hall Pirates. And you talk about, you know, St. John's, you mentioned on last week's podcast. Seton Hall is just one of those throwback names, right? A Jersey team where you just expect a certain type of toughness and a certain type of Big East grit, right? They just sort of speak college basketball to you. But I feel like young fans, they really have no idea about anything with Seton Hall and their history and what they used to do and success in the NIT when that used to be a bigger deal. But, you know, they had Miles Powell here, so I think that helped with a little bit the younger crowd and kids who are interested in the retooled Big East. But they lost him. They clearly aren't as good as a program, but I just think they're hitting a stride here. They're a solid tournament team right now. They're not totally safe, but if you talk risers, they've won four games in a row. This is a team that's 13-8 and eight right now, so they have pretty much played their way in. And uh, Mama Kulashvili has just been, he's been outstanding lately. He's been scoring above 20 points a lot. He's been hitting the glass. Dude's averaging 18 points and almost eight rebounds per game and over three assists, a block, a steal. You talk about a do-everything guy, this, this guy should be all Big East. He's been fantastic. So uh, chalk me, uh, or mark one down, Seton Hall Pirates in the risers. Yeah, the C- Seton Hall's very interesting. I think Lunardi has him as a 10 seed right now. Just a big, e- yep. the big East Ten, in seven. general is really odd because you got St. John's who's making a run with Posh Alexander and Julian Champagne, which I said last week, and then you have Seton totally. Hall. Uh, UConn's another name you got to watch out for because James Booknight is back. He's coming back. They yeah, went he's off. back, right? Yes, they beat Providence a couple nights ago. This is a team I think is on the edge of the bubble, but depending on how you rate this team, whether – Book Knight's playing versus when he wasn't playing. That's going to be a really tough decision for the the, uh, the committee to make. And if they get in, I mean, this is a dangerous team. If you put UConn in as like a, an 11 or a 10 on the back end, good luck to the sure. teams that are going yeah. to have to face James Book Knight.
Well, and that's one of the teams that Seton Hall beat, too. They beat UConn on the road. They didn't have I book night, book I don't think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but they beat Providence on the road, and, and they've, had, they've had some tough games. It's not like they've been blowing anybody out, but they've been hitting free throws late. They've just been doing the little things to win basketball games, why I look at them. So two road wins against Providence and UConn, who are really respectable teams. Marquette and DePaul, they're not good, but it's about taking care of business, right, to keep a streak going. Of course. And they have a favorable schedule. So they have Georgetown, Butler. I'm sorry about your Butler Bulldogs. It's your man. There's just nothing nothing to write home about. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll talk about a Butler dude later in the podcast, but there's that. And then they'll have UConn and uh, St. John's Road game down the stretch. So nobody's ranked right there, but a chance for Seton Hall, who's third in the Big East at 10-5, and to keep things going here. You know, another name or a team that I don't think people are really realizing because it's coming from a conference, like you just said, the Big East is a little bit down for standards, and I think also the SEC is because this team is not really getting the recognition that it deserves right now, and it's Arkansas. Arkansas with NATO or not NATO. Right. Uh, wait, Musselman, Eric Musselman, Musselman. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The must yeah, boss yeah. is the coach there. 22nd, Ken Palm, uh, freshman guard, Moses Moody, averaging about 16.2 points a game. If you watch his game, he can take over anything. And that's what you need come tournament time. So if you have Moses Moody in the fold, you're all good. But they also have a familiar name to, I would believe everybody here that's listening. And it's Jalen Tate, the brother of Jayshon Tate transferred down from Northern Kentucky. He's averaging about 11.1 points per that's game. Cool. That's cool. I watched cool. them. Uh, they took down Kentucky at Big Blue Nation and it was a pretty good game. They're just yeah, very they balanced. Survived. They're a very good guard team. It's going to be guard plays really big come tournament time. And that's why they're a rise at this point. Yeah, Arkansas. I love how you gave them some love. They're a seventeen and five uh, overall record right now. That is really, really good. And you look at their streak. They had that stretch where they lost to LSU and they lost. They got destroyed by Alabama. Yeah, right? They lost right. by thirty-one. They had a, a tight game against Tennessee, but that was a tough schedule. Missouri has proven to be a really good basketball team. You can, um, except for Missouri right now, well, you might you're throwing them in the category of a faller, right? Like yeah. they've just when we started to put them up there and say, all right, Missouri's proven itself, they're legit, right? They beat Alabama, so we gave them their credit, and then boom, 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 they've taken the three losses. So I guess while we're doing this, where I know we're doing risers, but you could put Mizzou, who I still have respect for, they're a top twenty-five team, but they have been in that faller category lately, losing to Georgia by ten points. Losing to Ole Miss, they got destroyed by Ole Miss. So something the, is happening. The defense is just not. To they're giving up confidence. eighty plus points in three straight games. Yeah, like it's yeah. just it's not good enough. And especially there's come a confidence tournament time. thing going yeah. on right there. Yeah, one hundred percent. Come tournament time, it's just not good enough. But you mentioned Alabama. I think that's a team, not necessarily a riser or a faller, but it's just a name that I don't think the country's really respecting a whole lot yet. I mean, this is a team. If you want to watch fun basketball, turn on an Alabama game because this is this is totally three and D type of play i mean they i think they have about four guys that average close to 40 percent from the three-point line uh i jaden shackleford i believe is their leading scorer yeah at around 14 points per game uh, this team is going to throw up as many threes as they possibly can and they're going to hit almost half of them uh it's really fun to watch and to come tournament time all you need is a team that gets hot like that and it's game over
Is there anything uh, in the ACC? Uh, I'm looking at the ACC, Evil, and I don't yes, know if there's a I riser so. or a faller I right th- now. They uh, just seem to be in the same spot. It's Virginia, it's Florida State, it's Virginia Tech, Louisville, Clemson, North Carolina is kind of there as the you know fifth or sixth team that's been steady. You know, UNC's just okay, right? They're going to get into the tournament. They're 13 and seven. They're just okay right. this year with what they got. I don't. You've got a riser or a faller in the ACC? I'm not seeing. Well, one. I, I I think. Florida State can. I think they can kind of propel themselves off of that win with uh, against Virginia. MJ Walker's a very good guard, and they have a great, great bench player that he could honestly be a lottery pick. And Scotty Barnes, who is a freshman point guard who actually had the game-tying score against Wake Forest. But again, they were playing Wake Forest. They needed to tie. They're very inconsistent. I don't know. Maybe I'm just kind of being preemptive or um, getting ahead of the curve here, but I think Virginia, man, just... There's just not a good vibe with this team this year. With Hauser being their leading scorer, outside of that, there really just isn't a go-to guy. Like, in the past, you've been able to get over the hump. Florida State kicked their ass. Yeah, they just don't have a guy that I can say night in and night out. Like, he's going to get them a guaranteed 17 to 20 points, which is what they're going to need because outside of that, they're really just not deep. I mean, I would say, and and I saw you commenting or you gave the little hit the like button on Leonard Hamilton's tweet where he found I guess he was just doing some throwback Thursday yesterday yeah his Boston (laughs) College photo yeah yeah he threw out his Boston College photo I mean I I can't even see Leonard Hamilton in that body that he tweeted out there you guys should check uh, check out Leonard on social media he's one of my favorite coaches and you talk about Chris Holtman here at Ohio State and underrated or underappreciated coaches that are at traditional football schools that I can't say Chris Holtman has elevated Ohio State basketball above Ohio State football. He's getting it to that level, and it's an impossible task here because Ohio State football is one of the most consistent things that there is in sports. But Leonard Hamilton, much like John Beeline and Juwan Howard at Michigan, they've taken hoops and gone above and beyond the football team in their uh, at their department, oh, which absolutely. is outstanding. So I would call Florida State. Well, you know, I just said looking up and down <laughs> at the conference, a lot of teams are kind of stuck in their spot. But Florida State was not as highly thought of this year with everything that they lost. No, they, they had a really yeah. great team, but they've just done what Florida State does and what <laughs> Leonard Hamilton does. They're just they're reliable. They're very reliable. And top 20 team right now, they're really good. Look out for them in March. Last thing to add on that, because what I don't like about Virginia is when they're bad, they're really bad. But granted, they've been really bad against good teams because against the best three opponents they've played, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Gonzaga, they've lost by a combined average. So average point of loss per game in that is 19.4. So when they lose, like they are really bad. I got one more big conference riser for you. And you've been right about them. Like, I thought you were right about them. There was a portion in the season where the Kansas Jayhawks, right? As I'm sitting here in the KU room, where uh, is my basement office, my proud, proud university that uh, I paid a lot of money to to go to school. Actually, wasn't that expensive. It's one of the cheaper out-of-state tuitions you're going to find. Looking up at my Mario and the Miracle framed newspaper. But the Kansas Jayhawks, now number 23 in the country, they are sitting at 10-5 and five in the very difficult Big 12, which second place is admirable in that league right now. And they've won four straight games since dropping from the polls for the first time in 12 years. 
and they've just been destroying opponents. They beat Oklahoma State by double digits. Mm-hmm. They blew out Iowa State twice. As you and they should. Have, Iowa State and Kansas State haven't been the toughest oh, games, right? So Iowa State's only won two games. They're both against SWAC opponents, and I, I think Kansas State was the team ugly. that lost to that D2 school. I, I know, I know, like Kansas but State and it's, Iowa State, it's, they're not it's great. It's momentum. It's momentum, for yes, sure. Yes, it's momentum, and it's Kansas, okay? It's still Kansas. They don't have that depth that you're looking for, but the five guys that they can throw out there with Ochai Abaji, with McCormick, is, who's getting better, Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown, and Marcus Garrett, that's a solid starting five that can take you out in March. No doubt about it. Yeah, I really like that pick, actually, because Kansas is a team that, I mean, if they get the right matchup, Granted, I did bring it's up Kansas. To you, I did bring up to you before the podcast started that Joe Lenardi does have him in the five twelve matchup with Belmont, and I don't really think you'd want to see that. How about Wichita State now ahead of Houston in the American standings at nine? I love two. it. I love How it. How about the Shockers with everything going wrong with their program? Right with the transfers out, that's pretty impressive. What the Wichita State Shockers are doing right now. No one's really talking about them. No, absolutely not. And I think you could also tie into that a little bit of Houston going on the downturn with Quentin Grimes and Dejan Giroux there. Guys, we mm-hmm. cut a couple guys we might remember from when Ohio State played them. Actually, just Giroux. But um, yeah, no, Wichita State's a team that I think is dangerous. I don't think a lot of people are going to expect a lot from them when they get in. I think. More of like an 11 seed, maybe a 10 seed for them if they do make the tournament. But it, it's kind of a, uh, it's a lot of unknown with them for people that haven't been paying a close attention to them. Because if you remember in the offseason, there was a lot of guys that transferred out of there. Yeah, Tyson Etienne is the guy that's pacing for Wichita State right now. So is there anyone, while you think and, and, and gather some of your fallers, I'm kind of scanning. I'm scanning right now. I'm trying to find what the longest win streak. We've never really done that here on the pod I'm just trying to find out the longest win streak in America at this point in time. Okay, I this has got to be the one. And we just talked about them before the pod. Dude, Belmont, gotta we be. love Belmont here on this pod. They're 23-1. and one. Hopefully that would be enough to get a, a uh, at-large bid, right? Like, I know we talk about in those <sighs> conferences, the Ohio Valley, you just can't do it. But 23-1, and 17-0 in conference, they've won 20 games in a row, the Belmont Bruins. And you said Lenardi has Kansas in a 5-12 against Belmont, which Jayhawks, not famously good with mid-major teams that start with the letter B in the past. They got Bucknelled. They got Bradleyed. I was sitting there when they got Bradleyed in Detroit, <laughs> and that was not fun. So, yeah, Belmont yeah. would not be a good matchup. I'd take them. No, I, I love Belmont. And I, I think Faraga and Dink Buzinski, I'm really pulling for them to do something come tournament time. Uh, the only issue I have with them is that their their schedule isn't very good at all, but that's really not their fault. A, yeah, lot, of, Ohio Valley. a lot of what they had going into uh, the season was canceled because of COVID restrictions. I think they were in a uh, uh, little tournament, preseason tournament they were going to have down in Florida that got canceled that had some good names in it. But yeah. yeah, no, Belmont's really fun. And this is a team, gosh, I wish Adam Kunkel, who we talked a little bit about last year, who was a three-point specialist. He ended up transferring to actually uh, Xavier right now, who's actually having a pretty decent season when they've had the chance to play. Belmont's a type of team, again, this is kind of in line with what I was talking about with Alabama. They're going to shoot the three, and they're going to put up shots and get the pace moving fast, man. This is a team that you, it can score with almost anybody. Like you said, Nick Musinski, he, is, uh, he was the Ohio Valley Tournament MVP last year. 
was he the conference player of the year? I, I don't have it in front of me right he now. Might have been. But he might either have been. way, he was with us on episode 19. It was March 11th, 2020. It's right before they had the door shut in their face, right? That might have been the day before. It was pretty close. So anyway, he's a neat kid. If you want to go back to past episodes and just hear a guy talking about basketball and his love of the game and everything, check him out. Episode 19, Nick Musinski. All right, Evil, your fallers. Who you got? Yeah, um, I I think this one's kind of obvious if you start looking at what's going around in the Big Ten. And unfortunately, it's a fun stat because Ken Palm has the 2020-2021 Big Ten as the highest rated conference season ever in the history of Ken Palm. I, I think it goes back to 2002, which is just crazy but that means that a good team has to take some type of lumps and clearly right now that's got to be wisconsin unfortunately they're five of the last eight they've lost uh 15 and eight overall they finish with illinois at purdue and at iowa so i don't think it's gonna get any better anytime soon and nate Reavers is not performing at the level he's been the past couple of years so i'm uh as you're talking about wisconsin and i completely agree with that I think I told you Wisconsin was not one of my teams on an earlier. You pod didn't, and you called as we it. were as Absolutely. we were going through things, and clearly, you know, us being Ohio State guys, we are still going to take some credit for a Ohio State road win at Wisconsin. And look, it's not like Wisconsin's a pile of crap. They're fifteen and eight. They're above five hundred in this terrific Big Ten. It's just that I did not see them as one of those top two or three Big Ten teams, like some did. I was more traditionally with Iowa, with Illinois. I think this idiot right here was banging the drum for Michigan State, too. I think I was saying, don't count on Michigan State dropping off. You, like, were, that's a Tom little, and you were a little higher than me, yes. I was pretty high on Michigan State, and look what they're doing right now. They're, they're not the team. They are not it. But you are certainly right with Wisconsin. What would you say about Purdue? They've been going Interesting. every other here. They had that nice run. You'd have, you'd have to walk it all the way back to when they beat Michigan State, Indiana, Penn State, and Ohio State with four straight wins. And then they've been trading. Lost to Michigan, right? Beat Minnesota. Lost by one to Maryland. Beat Northwestern. Lost by three to Minnesota. Just beat Michigan State. And they got Nebraska, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Indiana to finish. They are a solid tournament team, although I don't, uh, I don't know how I would classify them. I don't know why I'm speaking so much about him because they're certainly not a faller. <laughs> they're certainly not a faller. They're steady right now. Yeah, Purdue's an interesting one where they're a six seed that could really either be a tricky one. You don't want to see them in your side of the bracket or they, quite honestly, will be incons inconsistent enough where they're not hitting their threes and Travion Williams has kind of got to do everything for them. So uh, I, I, I don't think they're either or. I think they're just kind of straddling the middle, quite honestly. They're right there. Yeah, yeah they're in the mix. You got one more faller out yeah, there, I, someone that you don't like where they're trending? I think this is a little ahead of schedule, like I said earlier, but I think Texas at 13-5, and five, they've lost four of their last seven. They're really just— Haven't they won a couple, though, here Yeah, I mean, they won against TCU and K-State, but, I mean, they've, okay, lost, they've yeah. lost the games that I want to see them win, which is games against, like, Baylor, Oklahoma State, OU, Texas Tech. Like, i got to see you win at least one of those before I buy in. All right, so— we're getting close, everyone, and we'll probably be able to do more of that because it just gets fast and furious every oh, single week that passes. There's still a few more weeks of play here, uh, depending on what conference you're in. Really, a couple. I, I think it's more like two. And then we're going to find out what happens with conference tournaments. 
teams with, you know, in that four to five games left for the regular season and then with some possible postponement dates and makeups, it could uh, it could dip into another week. Doesn't the Big Ten tournament, Evil, have a little gap it, this year? Don't oh. we have like a week at the end? Because I was looking at Ohio State's schedule, and correct me if I am wrong, I will uh, pull it up here because – we found out that the Big Ten tournament is going to be, I think it's March 10th through the 14th. And Ohio State's last game, I don't think they have a game on the weekend of the 6th or the 7th, is what I'm saying. So is there's that, a little bit of breathing room there in between the end of the regular season and the conference tournaments. And I would imagine that might be similar for most of them out there. Well, I'm doing a quick math in my head because they obviously play Michigan this weekend. Then they get the entire week off, play Michigan on the weekend. Yeah, so the last or, game is is Illinois, Saturday, March 6th. Okay, that's right. Yeah, For Ohio State. They play Michigan so I guess that's normal. I guess that's normal. They got mm-hmm. a game on that last weekend, and then the Big Ten tournament will be the 10th through the 14th. And then Selection Sunday right after that. Yeah, that sounds about right. On, on the 14th. So there we go. We're we're getting there, man. We are <laughs> we are so close. This is getting fun. All right. So we'll talk about this Ohio State Michigan game coming up and a little story about this lost dude in college basketball that is part of Chris Holtman getting to the spot that he is in right now. More coming up a 0 second break. This is episode 36 of Mad About Hoops. All right, Tim, it's the game we've been wanting to talk about for seemingly a week plus. We didn't want to overlook the Penn State game. The Ohio State team did not overlook the Penn State game, and the Ohio State-Michigan game is upon us. It is, man, and why? Why is Penn State so freaking good against Uh, Ohio State? That was ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, Penn State clearly, you know what? They're better. They're better than they've been. But if you still look over the last... They're going to be a fun team next year. Right? Yeah. And they were really good last year. They should have been in the tournament. Were they 19-10 and when things ended? What's actually shocking is that year that Penn State was really the thorn in Ohio State's side when Chris Holtman first took the job and you had Kata Bates-D up. And the Big Ten was a little bit down that year, and he will admit that. They had a chance to win the conference and put a banner up, but they lost twice to Penn State in the regular season, once at home on a three-point buzzer beater from nearly half court from Tony Carr. That Penn State team, you look at their final box, they wound up winning 26 games. They won the NIT, that team. But that one didn't even get to the tournament, so they didn't get to play last year either, and it's just... They're okay, right? They're not in an upper echelon Big Ten program. When you look at Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Purdue, like all these all these dudes that are out here. Now look at what Rutgers doing. They're they're probably on par with Indiana, and that's not very good for Archie Miller and what he's doing in his first four years. But it's just ridiculous how Penn State sees Ohio State and they just always manage to play way above themselves and give them the max effort and the best game that they're going to find. The thing with Ohio State that they got to get better at before Michigan and Chris Holtman was critical right in the post game was defense. Oh yeah. And I, I didn't even think it was interesting to, to hear the coach be way more critical of it 
Because, dude, I thought Penn State was just hitting a lot of contested threes. And sometimes they were like that Wheeler dude. That's just not <laughs> even in the scouting report, right? Like he's it's chucking not, it from no. five feet be beyond the arc and he's draining them. What are you going to do? Myron Jones, he hit a bunch of contested threes with a hand right in his face. But it was, I think what I saw when I looked back over it, guards in the perimeter struggling to move their feet. There were a lot of floor fouls given up that turned into free throws in the second half when the game was called tighter. That's what I think it was. Yeah, that's a good observation. I, uh, I think defensive rebounding has been an issue in certain games. More or less when they play yeah. bigger bigs. It's, the Illinois, well, when they shoot the threes, too, and that ball carries off the iron, a lot a of times call. it's just tough. It's not necessarily you're not blocking out. It's just the shots coming from and it's, 25 it's, it's feet away. It's not really the bigs down low. It's just guards that are losing their guys on cuts from the perimeter. I, I think that's where they're getting beat the most. So You're right. Yeah, second chance points were key for Penn State, and that was frustrating. Three-point shots or not. There were some jobs they could have blocked out a lot better. But, yeah, Penn State's offense, they would a lot of times not even play four out, one in. They'd have all five guys beyond the perimeter. So it's just really hard to keep track of that. If they get any kind of good passing rotation and you're late to shift over, you'd have a quick guard who could then just plant his foot, put the ball on the deck, and blow by you. Like, I thought Musa Jallo, who's been really the defensive specialist, had one of his most poor defensive games. He did. I think all four of his fouls were the cheap Four fouls, yeah, right? Where he didn't move his dribble. feet. They were off dribble. Almost yeah. all of them were off the uh, dribble drive. I yeah. think all four were. And that you hated to see that. But I didn't think it was a trashy defensive performance from Ohio State. It wasn't their best. But they, they've they been trending in the right direction sure. in the last few games. And maybe they kind of leveled off. And they'll need to be much better against Michigan, clearly. Yeah, their numbers don't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Because they're 66 in uh, Ken Palm. But... They only give up about 68 points a game, which, I mean, if you're giving below 70 is what you're gunning for, but if you can get below 66, 65, you're really feeling good. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just more of a recent trend. you got to give props to Penn State for, I, I mean, I'm sitting in my chair just laughing at certain points with some of the stuff they're just throwing up there. Um, but I, I don't think outside of Franz Wagner you're really going to see that versus Michigan this weekend. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm watching – you know, more of that Michigan Rutgers game and the highlights just because the game's coming up on Sunday. What these guys have done, like coming off of a pause that long, like they're, they're legit. You know, I, I wondered, you know, and, and you heard me give a big spiel about how I thought Ohio State deserved to have the ranking in the polls if we were just being fair with them sitting on the bench for so long. But I'm, I'm cool that now, like clearly when they came back and boom, boom, they get two wins, beat Wisconsin and and beat Rutgers, they're, they're fine to have that. If if Ohio State gets them here on Sunday, I'd probably move the Buckeyes ahead and drop Michigan to four, but sure. they're just good. I just can't believe they're this good with who they lost. You've got a young, you know, recent retiree from the NBA takes over the program. Of course, it's Jawan Howard. He's got the name recognition, the stature, but look how that's working out for their football program with Jim Harbaugh doing it. This is just insane. Like, they don't seem to have a killer on the team. No. But Dickinson is great. Livers is great. Wagner, Eli Brooks, Mike Smith, Brown. Like, you just go Brandon Johns, who, again, I, I continue to, you know, like, fear Brandon Johns. You're like, this guy averages, what, four points per game? Plays like Two 10 rebounds minutes per game? But, yeah, but he can come and he can make some terrific plays for you. He can. They're just outstanding. This is going to be a fun showdown on Sunday. Yeah, to break it down just – 
for the dummies who don't really understand Michigan as <laughs> a whole. Dumb, dumb. It's no, it's like the book, like Michigan for dummies. Uh, it, it's really just a big three if you look at it from the outside with Livers, Wagner, and Dickinson. I, I mean, yes, Eli Brooks is a very good key guy. Chandi Brown off the bench is really big. I think he just clips uh, a thousand points in his career, combining with what he did at Wake Forest. And then I think really the biggest factor they've had is the transfer Mike Smith, who's been their go-to yeah. point guard with uh, the graduation of forget his name, but um, drawn up. Oh, Xavier Simpson. Xavier Simpson. Yeah, Simpson. Yeah. Simpson. Yeah. Yes, yes. Glad yes. he's gone. But yeah, he he's almost picking it, picking up right where he left <laughs> he off. He is. He kind of almost looks like him out there. He's pretty short. He's not a big point guard by any stretch of the imagination. Almost but, six assists a game. That's really good. But yeah, no, this team is just. They predicate themselves on defense, and they get very efficient buckets on the other end, especially with Dickinson down low. Uh, Livers is shooting like forty three percent from three. They're just they play almost a very Ohio State esque offense in terms of efficiency. It's they're very good at just capitalizing on their chances. All right, and uh, congratulations to Chris Holtman for being on this final, you know, late season list before. I don't know if they're going to whittle it down again, actually. So don't quote me on that. Maybe they, they could they give a final five. But there's, there's uh, how many are on this? Like 15, maybe? I think it's 15, yes. Yeah, 15 coaches on the Naismith Coach of the Year. And, and really, I mean, Chris Holtman is right up there. Like, I don't know. It's him and Juwan Howard, you know? They would be the guys because the expectations were there for Mark Few and for Baylor and Scott Drew. I know it's tough for Scott to win one. But the guy that I wanted to throw – uh, one more thing down for because we had him on the hot seat here, and you know how much of a fan I was of Shaka Smart <laughs> coming out of VCU and what he did there, the money he started to make, making the Final Four run. He was a rock star, right? Just getting out there, taking his team to the uh, Navy SEAL training and doing it with them like he's that kind of guy. Shaka has not yet won a tournament game at Texas, and this is his – I want to say fifth or sixth year in the program, and finally he's got a point in the right direction. I know you consider them a faller here lately, but still overall he has started to show the progress, and he's got a tournament team. So Shaka being on that list I think is really, really key. And uh, last thing for you here for the podcast for episode 36, I want to point you to some reading for uh, the next week or so. If you want to check out this article, it's called Lost in the Legend of Steve Alford, the other Indiana. I, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lost in the Legend of Steve Alford, the other Indiana star who disappeared. I had all these stupid click advertisement things that were blocking the, the freaking headline right there. It's <laughs> bullshit. So this is about Brandon Miller, right? And I mentioned yes. Chris Holtman, and this is part of his path to get to where he is as the head coach of Ohio State. And he's on this coach of the year, you know, late Naismith watch list. And every, he's got every reason to win one. Brandon Miller, this article here, it's very strange. It's very sad. And it I mean, clearly anyone that knows basketball knows Steve Alford and, mm -hmm. you know, his time with the Indiana Hoosiers as a player, how he battled with, with Bobby Knight. You talk about Newcastle and one of the cities in Indiana where – the high school gyms seat, you know, over 10,000 fans, and it's just the biggest deal ever. The State Hall of Fame is in that town, too. And Brandon Miller was the head coach of Butler in between in between Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens and Chris and Holtman. Holtman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, this guy was a player for Butler, 
on that team in the early 2000s when they made the Sweet 16 run. Yeah, the 2001 team, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they started to turn the corner and bring Butler basketball up to where Brad Stevens would ultimately take it. Now they're a national name, and it pushed them into the Big East. And Brandon Miller left that team, you know, after one season. He wasn't going to get fired or anything. It wasn't a great year. It was their first year in the Big East. There was going to be... About a 500 team close. Yeah, it was... was, Look, they were going to give him some time to get acclimated to the new conference and everything like that, but he just went away. At the time, it was medical purposes, time away. It really seemed like it was a mental health thing. And the article from 2017 just sort of goes through how he's gone, man. Like, he's just... He cut himself off from all of his friends. It it wow. it says, you know, that you know, Steve Alf like the Alford family and the Miller family were very, very close. I think it even says here that Steve Alford used to babysit Brandon Miller, like back in the day. Like that's how close they were. But it says today Brandon's a ghost. He's home in Newcastle, thirty five miles east of Indy, trying to reconstruct a life that veered off the path taken by his idol Alfred. Outside of family and very few friends, he is neither seen nor heard from. I mean, that's that's so sad. That's incredible. I hope this, he's good. Yeah, I hope he's good too because this was the thing. I, I really didn't wholly understand it, and I still don't understand it to this day. What kind of transpired? We don't know. That. And, yeah, we obviously don't know. And Holtman, I, I, I can't even imagine what that was like for him to kind of you know, get right, thrown to get into, shot that way. Just kind of get thrown into the fire like that. And obviously he did really well with it. But man, it's just, it's just, it's hard to comprehend. And it was weird, like reading into some Butler, like message boards where you'd see some fans, like really like genuinely wanting to know if anyone's heard from Brandon Miller, not trying sure. to pry or like invade his privacy. And then you'd see some other Butler fans on the thread saying like, don't go there, man. Like, just leave it alone. It's like, well, leave it alone. Like we just... You just want to know that he's okay, you know? just want to know that a guy that had a lot to do with Butler basketball, like this dude, and I read an Indy Star column about him too, like he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he is now, but... He should be. He should be visible as a player with what he meant to, again, helping that program turn the corner. Getting the head coaching gig there is an incredible deal. He only had one year as coach, and he didn't even give himself a shot to rebound or make something out of it. Maybe he could have been a guy that stayed and stuck with it, and Butler basketball went off to do more great things. But Chris Holtman got the gig. He was great. He's here at Ohio State now. It's just really interesting. Uh, Miller had said he stopped taking calls from concerned colleagues and friends, Alford family included. Visitors who went to see him couldn't get past the front door. Interview requests have been unanimously turned down. And the few who have intimate knowledge of Miller's struggles do not discuss them beyond vague generalities. It gets just, there were a couple of men that I think uh, Pat Forty was interviewing in this article. And just like when the discussion turned to it, like you, even even they, like they just kind of, like he said, generalities. Shrug it off, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, we, you know, hopefully he'll, uh, he'll rebound, you know, at some time. It's just so, Brandon Miller, like, Mad about hoops, we're thinking of you. Hopefully you're good. Like, that's that's never what you want to see. But that's it for me, Evil. Anything else to add? We can wrap it up here. No, it's it's a great time of year, man. Ohio State only has three regular season games left. Hopefully you can get them all in, and then hopefully Michigan can finally play somebody in the top half of the Big Ten not named Ohio State. 
<laughs> no doubt about it, man. <laughs> yeah, Ohio State and Michigan, big showdown coming up on Sunday. That's it's all these two guys are thinking about right now. Then we'll pay attention to other things again next week. So enjoy it, everybody. We only have a little bit of February left on the calendar, and then March is coming, so lots more college basketball talk coming your way. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 36 of Mad About Hoops.